Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Oh, yes. Welcome in. It is Downtown, the podcast. Episode number 223. Rich Kimball and Carrie Haskell with you. Brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. As always, a pair of conversations uh, this week, and boy, this time around, a couple of television icons for you here. Second half of the program, we talk with the Beaver himself, actor Jerry Mathers, who starred as the Beaver, young Mr. Theodore Cleaver from 1957 to 1963. And it's uh, remarkable that a show that's been off the air in its original run for nearly 60 years is still something people talk about but uh, they do indeed now reruns of course uh, and then the uh, the sequel the reunion show still the beaver the new leave it to beaver uh, that ran in the 80s but uh, jerry mathers an interesting guy uh, beyond that and we'll talk about much of that uh, with jerry mathers a little bit later on but up first we're also approaching the 50th anniversary of the premiere of one of the great shows in television history mash which made its debut in september of 1972 our first guest this week was there from uh, day one and for all 11 seasons of the show, playing Major Margaret Houlihan, talking, of course, about Loretta Swit, who joined us to share some MASH memories. We're so happy to have you back. I was checking. It's been uh, just about three years since you were oh, on word. with us. I know. Did you, what, what did I, something I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> something I said, something I didn't say, what? No, you're just a very busy woman with a lot going on, and I, I want to talk oh, about no. some of that right away. You've got a yes. brand new perfume available. Can you tell us about that? Uh, sure, yes. It's on my website, so I'd love to direct you and my your listeners, my audience, my fans, it's on the website, yes, and um, I'm trying to remember now. Um, you know, you know, my um, my charity is a 501c3 uh, donation, all tax deductible. So if you're if you're buying the perfume, you're really making a donation to get the perfume. Uh, the, all the monies, all the proceeds go into Sweetheart Animal uh, Alliance. And um, I think the perfume is $60, it's, uh, and we call it a $60 donation in order to, to get the perfume. Absolutely. So that's clear because it's, it's all tax deductible. You, I'd, like, I'd like everybody to get something, and, uh, and it's, I have to brag a little bit. It's a wonderful perfume. It's, just, it's, it's lovely, and uh, it's been very successful so far. Everybody loves it. The scent is uh, clean and powdery and fresh, and it's not floral. It's kind of, um, uh, as it's been described more as exotic in categories. The perfumes go in categories. You know, there's woodsy and floral and exotic and so forth. So it, it fell into kind of that category. But it's, it's wonderful. It's light and fresh. It's a roll-on, which is what everyone loves these days. And my little secret is I keep my roll-on in the fridge. It's a little heart bottle, very charming. The name of the perfume is Sweetheart, of course. <laughs> and um, when, it, when, when we've gone through this hot, steamy, terrible time, I take my little heart bottle and I open it and slide that perfume and it's cold and it's refreshing and wonderful. So that's, that's my little tip to my fans if, when they buy the perfume, that's what they should do. Put it in the fridge and uh, conquer conquer this terrible weather. What a wonderful idea. And, and by the way, how could any perfume of yours not be exotic? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that stumped me. <laughs> I, have, I have no answer for that, I'm afraid. <laughs> All, Thank you. That's very sweet. Also, uh, when you go to the website at uh, www.switheart.org, you can get information about the second printing of your wonderful book, Sweetheart. How exciting is that? That yeah. is fantastic. Beautiful, 
watercolor work. And, and, and for people who don't know, this is not a new thing. You've been, you've been an artist since you were, what, six or seven years old? Six. And the reason I know it was six is because I won an art prize. <laughs> well. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't it be wonderful if, uh, after all these years, my mom had kept it or the little drawing I had won. But, uh, but the thing is, um, I never, I, for me, and it still is, this is just a pleasure. I never thought of it as I'm going to do a book. I'm going to, you know, exhibit my painting. I, it was fun and delicious and just a wonderful way to express. And now, of course, uh, because the painting is her animals, to express my love. And it's, a, it's another way to fund my foundation. It's another way to fund my charity because I sell my paintings. I sell prints of my paintings, which is also, if you get on the website and you're having conversations uh, with me, is it's another way to uh, get a piece of us, you know. And uh, the prints are not expensive, and they're, they're beautifully done. It's a, um, a French process called clay, and they look mm. like originals. And when they're framed, they, uh, they do look like originals. They don't look uh, like paper prints. Anyway, so um, the, uh, the wonderful thing about my second printing is because my dear friend, hyphen brother, Mike Farrell, uh, wrote the introduction and the dedication. So uh, uh, I try not to blush when I'm reading what he wrote, and I'll try to live up to all the things <laughs> that he wrote. But, you know, there you have it, my exotic self. You know. But um, there's that. And also there was room on the back for Jamie's comment also to about the book. And uh, my family, what can I say? My delicious mash family. We talked to Jamie just a few weeks ago, and we'll be talking with Mike again uh, in a couple oh, of days. So we're very excited about that. Also, I wanted to mention, too, uh, we were very excited to see uh, late last year, you got together with another friend of our show, Donnie Most, to do a play. Oh, my dear Donnie. Oh, we had we did a play together. What a delight. What a, it was wonderful. What can I say? It was just totally wonderful. And my dear Donnie was my husband in the play. It's a charming, lovely play about friendship over decades. And I think that's so valuable as 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 a theme of a play or or a story because um, in our society now, I feel that's our saving grace, reaching out and helping each other, you know to get through crises, whether it's uh, 26,000 planes that are canceled, uh, the flights are canceled, or uh, fighting an epidemic or wearing masks or following the rules or whatever. I mean, we're, we should be out there helping each other. And in, in a way, that's what this play does. It talks about how these four people supported each other and helped each other through decades of friendship. And so, so I loved it. And I love our cast. I mean, you can't get better than our cast, my, my dear Didi Khan and uh, Adrian. And, you know, so it was um, a real treasure. You've also been uh, on the road a lot doing events, uh, many of them uh, with Jamie and, and your Jeff Igor, Jeff Maxwell. Uh, Jeff Igor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jeff Igor. That's, that's, I said it uh, fittingly uh, a couple of times, and it, now everybody calls him Jeffigor. <laughs> but he is an unrecognized comic. <laughs> he is so fun, and he is uh, a delightful, bright human being. And uh, we just, Jamie and I, love doing the shows with him. And he's uh, uh, very loved and popular for, for his role on MASH. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's great fun. I love, uh, I love the contact <laughs> that it gives me. Jamie feels the same way. And Jeff, uh, it, it, to, to reach out and, and talk to fans, to, to, because MASH has become such a global family. Uh, it's just so rewarding to, to meet these people who love and adore you. I mean, what's a better way to live, God, 
people coming at you saying, I love you so much, <laughs> or you've done so much for me. Or in my case, I get mail from women who became nurses because mm-hmm. of Margaret Houlihan. I can't tell you the pride <laughs> that I have in that. I mean, I just, I swell up to bursting. It's just so amazing what that show contained and what it what it inspired and it continues to inspire and you're calling all of us as you know (laughs) in our 50th year celebration we have been on the air for 50 years yeah i mean i when i say it i I kind (laughs) of like swoon a little bit 50 years it's remarkable we're talking with the exotic Loretta Swit here on downtown. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what drew you first to the role of Margaret? Oh, it doesn't work that way. Uh, that's so sweet. Uh, I, <laughs> I was not drawn to her. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, it, well, it, it's maybe the second or third stage, but people think, seek you out. I mean, they'd, they'd be casting people or the producers, writers, whatever. They think of you and draw you in, and then the second stage, as I say, might be that you say, oh, yes, this is my part. I want to do this. Um, I remember being offered Shirley Valentine, and when I finished reading it, I called my agent and said, not only do I want to do it, I must do it. I must <laughs> do this role. This is, I love this role. You know, it's, it's that kind of um, reaction you have. Uh, which which can happen, you know, where you have this immediate link to that character. And uh, with Margaret, I have to say, uh, it took a while to um, get her honed down to what I felt I wanted to say with that character. And uh, fortunately, I was blessed with writers who uh, paid attention to me, you know, they didn't, uh, oh, you know, don't listen to the girl, she's only a female, or whatever. Um, so, eventually, it got to, I felt, where where I wanted to be with the character, and uh, I think I'm rewarded by the male that says I'm a nurse because of you. I wanted her to be my, my thing, my mantra when I took the role was, I intend to be the best damn head nurse in Korea. That's my goal. And, you know, in, in fact, in order to do that, I had to work very hard on getting away from the um, silly kind of comedic empty thing that we had with Frank Burns. You know, both Larry and Liv and I, we, you know, we were, we were being treated as comic relief. For the first couple of seasons and and it wasn't working for us because they were writing my character smarter wiser and she was of course very good at her job he was being touted as inept as a doctor as a surgeon and there's no compatibility there for margaret who admired hawkeye and trapper in the beginning and then bj for their skills how can she hook up with a guy who, number one, is married? There's no future there. And he's, uh, he's uh, a joke in camp. He's a ninny. He's, and he's a worthless doctor. So, so what, what is holding her there? You know, he's not tall, dark, and handsome with shoulders. He doesn't outrank her. I mean, there's no... So finally, we were able to sit down and say, we've, we've got to fix this. And... Uh, uh, so, in answer, a long-winded answer to your question, it uh, it was not an immediate affiliation or affection that I had for the character. I thought she needed a lot of work, and I would, <laughs> Gelbart and I would look at each other and say, I wouldn't say anything and he'd say, we're, go- we're getting there. We're going <laughs> to get there. Don't worry. We're going to get there. We'll fix it. We're going to, you know, <laughs> I loved him. Oh, God, I loved him. So, um, I also remember, but, too, but, the la- last time we talked, uh, you, you mentioned the fact that it was important to you that people understood that the nurses who were there in Korea, they were volunteers, which which right. made it more that's impressive. Right. 
Exactamundo, yes, absolutely. Those women were heroes beyond, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying everybody who was drafted wasn't a hero. Anybody, a veteran, and, and my explanation, which I always quote, a veteran is someone who at one time or other in their life has written an, a blank check made out to the United States of America for the sum of up to and including their lives. Mm. You have given your life. You have said, I'm willing to die for my country. And this is a hero. This is a veteran. And that's, uh, that's the honor. And so you have these women volunteering to be in a place on the planet that is hotter than anywhere else in the summer and colder than anywhere else in the winter. And you have uh, a, a written record that the cause of death during the Korean conflict was, number one, frostbite. Number two, snakebite. Number three, the war. Mm. Now, that tells you what kind of conditions they were working in. Uh, the, the difficulty of standing in blood for 18 hours trying to patch young bodies together. Uh, the, uh, there was one totally destructive, painful line that we had. We are sewing bodies together that are young, that are uh, well, uh, too, uh, younger, just barely young enough uh, old enough, but just just barely old enough to shave. We're trying to patch bodies together uh, of kids just old enough to shave, and it, it was psychologically. Can you imagine what it did for the doctors and nurses? And here, these women volunteered to do that, to be there, to do it, and they worked the same long hours. They said, you know, and it, yeah, I, I, it was a privilege to play all of us to play those people what what heroes Jeez, you know what valor anyway so i i i was very proud of the people that we were portraying margaret ended up marrying a donald penobscot little tidbit i'm sitting in a studio just about a mile from the penobscot river here in maine no kidding <laughs> <laughs> i knew it was a real name yeah it's, uh, it, uh, Maine, Maine, where? Uh, is it where? Uh, where is, we're in we're in Bangor. When when Jamie okay. was on, Jamie asked if we could see Crabapple Cove from here. <laughs> yes, I guess there's no such thing. But no. in, in any case, there's you know there should be what a charming name a crabapple <laughs> and a cove or yeah uh, the Angela Lansbury's location also this charming little New Englandy kind of rural, delicious community that you wish existed, that you could <laughs> move there and retire there. So charming. Uh, you, whenever um, Hawkeye just talked about his hometown, you got such a feeling of that friendly, one-on-one, everybody knows everybody, neighbors love each other. It's, you know, utopian sort of crab apple cove, you know. I want to ask about a couple of people from the cast who are no longer with us. Uh, McLean Stevenson, you said before, uh, he told you when he left, he knew he would never be in anything uh, as good as MASH. Did, did some of you try to convince him to stay around a little bit longer? Uh, I can only speak for myself. I don't think uh, I, I would expect the producers uh, try to talk him out of it because, you know, he was, so valuable. I mean, he really was, he was the guy who took off with the show. I mean, Matt won just out of the gate. He won a golden globe. I mean, and uh, we were very close friends. Matt, in fact, asked me to receive the award for him, mm. which was great. You know why you receive an award for somebody else. You can stand there and tell everybody how great they are, you know, because they can't do that. They're going to say thank you if they're there. But you can say, 
you have really done the right thing here, giving this award to this incredible character, this incredible talent. And uh, it was a pleasure to be able to get up there and tell everybody that uh, he was great and we loved him. So uh, Max was the funniest human being. I mean, he was hilarious. And at the same time could be so touching in some of the scenes. You know, uh, it was such a short three years to have him. But, yes, he did say that. He said, I know I'll never be in anything this good again. And uh, I didn't try to talk him out of it, but I did say, but why then, Matt? <laughs> why, why do you leave, leave us? And he said, um, I just want to be number one. And I said, you are. I don't care about the billing. This is, this is your show. I mean, he was taking off. He was replacing Johnny Carson, you know, he was uh, not replacing him, but taking over for Johnny when uh, he was absent from, from his show. He was uh, doing stand-up comedy. Uh, he, he was very, the biggie, you know, and um, he just felt uh, uh, he was, people were, he, he wanted to be the one in the show people reacted to because mm. Uh, normally what his his figure was reacting to the craziness. He was the one reacting. Um, okay, uh, Jamie Klinger walks in and he's reacting hilariously to Jamie. And he wanted to be the one, not, not to play Klinger, but he wanted to be the one that people were reacting to. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. Him, Absolutely. For him, yeah, he wanted to be the number one of of the show. And uh, he said, uh, I've got to get out there and try. And that was his goal, and I respected it. But, oh, I was devastated at the news when he told me. But um, uh, it was I was not going to try to uh, change his mind about that. He, he was entitled to go out after what he wanted. Mike has but, told us uh, about uh, about Bill Christopher, his memories of uh, seeing him reading Homer in ancient Greek on the set. What do you remember yeah. most about working with Bill? <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that was... I used to kid Bill. I said, you know, I do honestly believe that you have been the cause of bringing people back to the church more than any living... <laughs> clergy i mean i i said people adore you and he was such he i love the way he played the priest he was so human he just you know his humanity his fairness his, his yeah his, his humanity really he was such a human priest and um i was brought up catholic i didn't get to meet many priests like Bill Christopher, they didn't, they, they weren't human. They were most of them holier than thou, you know, and it was, um, and of course I was a kid, so they automatically are up there and you're looking up to them and so forth. But Bill met you square on, you, you could tell him anything. And that's the kind of priest I think, uh, the priest should be that should, they should be, mm our connections to a higher power, if you will. And that was Bill. And funny, oh, my God, that dry sense of humor. <laughs> we had a contest. You'll remember this because it was hilarious. It was an episode in which Hawkeye comes up with this great idea to see how many people could fit into one Jeep. <laughs> and uh, we're piling into the Jeep, and he's going to take a picture and send it to, you know, Time Magazine or whatever crazy idea Hawkeye had. And Bill wound up on the bottom. <laughs> and, and everybody's going, hey, Bill, are you okay down there, Bill? And he said, fortunately, I remembered to bring something to read. <laughs> well, I, you know, we were, he was always so deliciously funny and and unpredictable and dear and uh he was one of a kind yeah our, 
our people were so special. They were all so one in a billion. No, you know. And what was clever and really wise of the production office was never to try to replace these irreplaceable mm. people. How could you do? You can't do that. Uh, you could not replace McLean Stevenson, but what you can do is get a Harry Morgan bringing in his one in a zillion personality, uh, talent, gifts. You know, here was the guy who could be uh, a bunny, but he could also be one of the guys that get drunk with them, uh, be my father figure, or scold me, yell at me, or wait. I mean, he could do it all. And it gave us all a shot in the arm because here we were positioning uh, to react to a new, a new flavor, a new. This was a new, a new guy, and we couldn't act. We couldn't be the same characters as we were with Mac. You know, I uh, I, I, I rewatched the other night. I happened to catch uh, the episode where. Where Colonel Potter inherits the bottle of brandy as the last survivor uh, of his yeah. unit, and my goodness, no, it to me it shows what pros you were. Uh, knowing how you all felt about Harry, I don't know how you kept a dry eye. Uh, we didn't, but the truth of the matter is, it was more about Harry. When Harry mm. was making those speech, that speech, you you kind you now removed yourself and contemplate how many people in the industry, greatness that he worked with. You know, uh, when you contemplate some of the films that he did, great, great black and white classics. Oh, yeah. And those incredible people, I mean, you know, Spencer Tracy, Frederick March, uh, you know, I mean, I can go on. Um, he was in what, um, uh, the... Uh, the Oxbow uh, incident. The Oxbow incident. Yeah, uh, judgment at New York. I, you know, you can go on and on. And he, when he was making that speech, he had already lost uh, quite a few of his comrades, and and his whole heart and soul uh, was there in that in that speech, toasting his old comrades, and of course. Harry, when uh, when we wrapped and he was talking to the press, with all he had done, you know, I think eight or nine television series, he said it wasn't that it wasn't fun or nice, but you could walk away. He said, but this has been a different experience. I love these people. We're family, you know. And that poured into what he felt about us as well, that, he invited his new, his new family, his new comrades, to enjoy hosting his old and lost comrades, and it it had such great meaning for all of us. But for Harry, he was talking about you know his his losses. And I, I love what he said. Uh, someone asked him if. Doing MASH made him a better actor, and he said, it, I don't know if it made me a better actor, it made me a better person. Yes, he said that. I, 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 I tell you he did. So here we are 50 uh, years later. Why are we still talking about MASH? Why are people still watching, watching it which, after all these years? Yeah, which is, again, why... Uh, why, why you're not really surprised or taken aback by uh, 50 years. Um, I don't think, and I'm probably alone in my theory here, I don't think we should have ended uh, when we did. Uh, and I think to say we didn't want to start repeating ourselves doesn't quite cut it for me <laughs> because that's what reruns and syndication is all about. People love watching it again and again and again, repeating ourselves. I know people, fans out there, who know our, our series by heart. They, they have the series on, on tapes or, or recordings, and they, they watch it when it's on the air, and they play their own... I mean, they're, 
inundated with the flavor, the jokes, the pain, the tears, everything. It's it's not so much as repetition as reliving. And when something is relevant and and marvelous, wonderful, as MASH, I think, is, why not repeat it? Why not relive it? Because you want you, it's a part of you. So you're not really repeating yourself the way they were saying, we don't want to repeat jokes or whatever. Who cares? Look at the repetition you're looking at with 50 years of syndication. So I, I always felt that we could have gone on for a few more years. I felt maybe we cheated our fans uh, by a couple of years. And so they, they, in turn, are watching us for 50 years. That they, they said, okay, you won't do any more. We'll keep watching anyhow. <laughs> You know, maybe I'm feeding my own my own heart about it. You know, I don't know, but my my contention was always that uh, uh, we left too soon. Well, as fans, we're no, we're so was... grateful for the episodes that we have it and that they're out there. Uh, whether it is on on a DVD or an old VHS, or uh, whether you're able to still catch them, I think the show probably airs somewhere in the world every minute of the day. Yeah, it's like that old joke about um, uh, having a toast or or somewhere the uh, sun is going down over the yard arm or whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, uh, I, I, I was in, uh, I've traveled extensively because I was a part of a group that did, um, well, Shirley Valentine, which is a mm. solo flight and easy to transport. Uh, the Theater Guild had me do cruises where I could do my play uh, uh, alone. And, and uh, so I've taken Shirley all over the world. And I was in Egypt, and I was on a cruise, and people in Egypt were recognizing me. Now that, you know, you go, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> wow, I'm in Cairo, I'm in the Cairo Museum, and people are recognizing me. So it's um, it's it's spectacular if you allow yourself to be a part of that, and 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 God knows you can enjoy it. Wow, uh, I don't I don't think it's an invasion of my privacy so much as as uh, embracing me into all those families out there, and that mash is a family. Some of my some of my mail uh, has. Actually, a lot of it has indicated that um, they feel a part of our family. The, that word gets used a lot. And I had one one letter that I kept oh, for a long time where this young woman uh, told me uh, that she had uh, been the product of a divorce, a bad one, where the father just kind of left and left them, period, in the lurch with no income, no nothing. And her mother had to hold, uh, hold two jobs down to keep them together and, and well. And uh, as a result, she didn't have too much quality time with mom uh, because she was working all day and she was growing up in school, work, and so forth. And so when she was a kid, she grew up with MASH Treating me like her big sister. <laughs> you became my big sister. Margaret was my big sister. And she helped me grow up. And, you know, I mean, it's a beautiful letter. And she said, uh, she, when she wrote it, she was an adult, married. And guess what? She became a nurse. And uh, that's extraordinary. That to, to get a piece of mail like that, that's that is so meaningful to so an actor, an actor. This is, you know, uh, yes, uh, a job for me, but it was in a, a very important piece of work. And um, there's a very amusing actor's prayer. Uh, and one of the things that you pray for is to have 
successes that are not only successes, but contain enough value to make me proud. And uh, <laughs> heaven knows, I think MASH has that. It contains so much value, and it allows us, as, as the MASH family, to be very proud. Well, absolutely. Influence, as I, you know, that I think that I have influenced young women out there to become uh, nurses, uh, which is, uh, you know, heroin. Uh, okay, so so uh, uh, it's 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 beyond thrilling to realize you're a part of such a thing, you know. Well, we're happy to have you help us celebrate the 50th anniversary of the show. Want to remind folks too to go to the website sweetheart.org. Uh, check out the wonderful new perfume, uh, Sweetheart. <laughs> and second, buy the book. Buy, buy the, the book. book get the beautiful the watercolors. Wonderful with those wonderful things that Mike Farrell says about me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's a lovely piece. He's a beautiful writer. He's a beautiful man. Uh, my guys, my men, my lovely, <laughs> lovely men, my lovely family. Loretta, it's wonderful to talk with you again. By the way, uh, last time we were on, I had mentioned to you that my, my sister wanted to send along her thanks. She was a first responder uh, during 9-11 and remembers uh, you being there uh, helping out in the days following, and, and she wanted to send along her best when she heard we were talking again. Oh, yeah, my best back to her. And, yes, I, um, I was there. I was there for two months. I was at Javits Center dishing out food and pouring coffee. I was also at um, Ground Zero. I was there when we were still pulling down mm. buildings, wearing my gas mask, and working alongside of people who are, I, you know, you, you, just, you can't, you have no words to describe their courage and integrity. And, ah, well, you know, it's just, uh, it was an experience of a lifetime, not for only the obvious reasons, the horrific, but but to have been working alongside of, uh, uh, you know, people identifying body parts. You know, I have some things in my experience that are really, uh, you know, uh, breathtaking. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I appreciate that she remembers me from that time. And uh, do send back my love. I will do that. Loretta, it's wonderful to talk with you again. Uh, be well. Uh, we'll be talking with Mike in a couple days. We'll uh, say hello. But you will you guys stay in touch uh, so frequently. And I'm sure you'll see each other out on the road somewhere soon. Oh, no. We're, we're, we, we talk all the time. <laughs> uh, Mike, Mike uh, very often calls me sis. His little sis, <laughs> I call him bro. Uh, we're, we're close, good friends. He is. He is like my brother, which is very interesting. Wayne, in the same position on the scoreboard, also behaved like my big brother. <laughs> he also took care of me in that way. And Max used to call me Ma. Now, <laughs> I took care of Max. He said <clears throat> he thought I was one of the most maternal women he'd ever met in his life. <laughs> but uh, I, did, I did have those feelings about our cast, uh, maybe because I was the only female, but uh, <clears throat> if we were family, I probably was mother to some, and I was sister to Mike. You know, uh, Jamie certainly is one of my brothers. Oh my, he's been <clears throat> talk about one of a million. And our fans love finding out stuff about uh, Jamie, aka Klinger. You know, so different, such a stretch <laughs> for him to play from the real Jamie. Uh, so anyway, okay, um, thank you for everything, and uh, God bless. Have a beautiful day. That's the great Loretta Swit with us here on Downtown, the podcast.
We'll take a break for a word from Cross Insurance and come back with the Beaver, Jerry Mathers, next. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Leave it to Beaver. Starring Barbara Billingsley, Hugh Beaumont, Tony Dow, and Jerry Mathers as the Beaver. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. You talk about your iconic television shows, Leave it to Beaver right up there, 1957 to 1963. Our next guest starred as the Beaver, getting in and out of scrapes, but uh, always with the support of his family. Jerry Mathers has had uh, quite a career as a an actor on television, uh, movies, starting even before Leave it to Beaver on the Broadway stage. Uh, he's been in the business world as well. Very interesting guy, Jerry Mathers, joining us here on Downtown, the podcast. Hey, Rich, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you today? I feel great. I'm glad no to hear. problems. Glad to hear. Well, thank you. I appreciate you making some time for us today. Uh, no problem at all. Anytime you need me, I'm here for you. Well, that's excellent. Well, uh, uh, you'll be coming to Maine. Very excited for this. August 27th uh, for Hannibal Hamlin Day from 1 to 3 p.m. over in Paris, Maine. It'll be at 500 Paris Hill Road in South Paris and uh, sponsored by the Friends of the First Baptist Church of Paris. Uh, you'll talk to folks. People get a chance to meet you, uh, maybe get an autographed picture as well. But you do an awful lot of these personal appearances. You know, it's always fun. People, uh, you know, all over the country, it, they've watched me for a long time, and a lot of them don't think they'd ever get a chance to up and say hello and ask that big question that they had they they saw something or did that really happen to anybody and it's just a really fun time so i'm look, very much looking forward to it i want to talk of course about uh, your longtime friend and collaborator tony dow who passed away recently uh, certainly just for fans of the show uh, it made us very sad but you were close to him for for more than six decades so what was tony like you know tony was um someone that i really looked up to he was uh, an AAU swimming and diving champ. So, I mean, I, when I was smaller, I didn't realize that everybody just couldn't jump up on a, on a, uh, at a pool and do three or four flips and, you know, <laughs> land and not get hurt. But he was just an excellent friend and somebody that I, I really am going to miss very much. I want to talk about your background because uh, most people may not know uh, the backstory that you've been you've been working for quite a while before Leave It to Beaver. You started out as a model, is that right? Yes, my mom happened to be at a big department store here when I was about uh, two years old, just had just turned two, and um, a lady came up to her and said, "Is that your little boy?" And my mom went, "Whatever he did, if he you know if he pulled something down or you know ripped it somehow, I'll, I'll pay for it." And they said, "No." But I've been noticing you've been trying clothes on and uh, on him, and he fits uh, our clothes perfectly. We're having a modeling thing tomorrow, um, and all he would have to do is be, you know, hold a woman's hand, and they'll walk him out in one of our outfits or three or four of our outfits. And my mom said, well, you know, this is a big city, and I, I don't know. And the lady said, well, you know, we'd pay him, and he could keep one of the outfits. My mom said he could do that. <laughs> Ah, uh, goodness. Well, that, that that led to a number of movie roles. Do you have any memory of working with Bob Hope on The Seven Little Foys? Oh, very definitely. That was, you know, a really fun one to do. Um, I was in a, not in the entire movie, I, but I was in a fire scene, and um, they, they I was supposed to be uh, up in the uh, balcony, uh, but backstage, and uh, there was a fire happened in real life, and this was a recreation of it except when we went to shoot it, the guy put a little bit too much juice into whatever they were burning, and um, there was going to be a stuntman that was going to be playing Bob Hope. He would run up the ladder, and then the stuntman in the same outfit would come over and get me, and the stuntman couldn't get through the flames. And the only person that really knew that, because he had to switch like a hat or something um, with the guy, 
was Bob Hope, and he actually did run not through the flames. He threw a blanket over himself and, ra- and saved me. So otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. Wow, that's an incredible story. What was it? Uh, what was it like working with Alfred Hitchcock on The Trouble with Harry? Well, you know, uh, as an actor now, I would probably be, uh, you know, a little whoa. It's Alfred Hitchcock. At that time, uh, I was a small child, so uh, you know, I was six years old. And I used to sit on his lap and run my lines, and I didn't realize that, you know, all the other actors and the adult actors were all very afraid of him. But he was just a very, very nice man. uh, We weren't just at the studio. We went to Stowe, Vermont to shoot uh, probably, I think it was like a week or maybe even two weeks of of this. So it was something that was really fun, and... Um, he was, a, and when I was doing Leave It to Beaver, you know, years later, he was down the street, and it was just fun. I'd be in the commissary, and all of a sudden he'd walk over, and he was the first person to ever call me Mr. Mathers, and he'd come <laughs> up to my at the table, or I'd run over and say hello to him, and he'd go, "Oh, hello, Mr. Mathers." <laughs> We're talking with Jerry Mathers here on Downtown. Now you had done some television. You did uh, Ozzy and Harriet before the audition for Beaver, and that was. That was quite a, a big audition with hundreds, if not thousands, of kids and, and spanning, what, several locations? Well, yeah, not several locations so much, but they had uh, different places on the studio lot because they just had so many kids. Uh, and they also interviewed kids in New York and Chicago. So they had a whole lot. You know, they, they just really didn't know what they wanted. And when they finally decided it was me, it was a very, very fun shoot to do. And uh, you've told the story many times before, but one of the things they liked is the fact that you were much more interested in getting to your Cub Scout meeting. Absolutely. Um, the interview, just so you know, went on for probably three or four, I don't know, it was a long time ago, but uh, a, a lot of weeks, and we kept going back, and each time there would be you know, either new kids or some of the old kids. And so I was getting a little antsy. And when I went in for the final interview, there was only about six kids. And the guy said, the man said, the, uh, you know, what's the matter, Jerry? And don't you want to be here? And I said, no, I have a Cub Scout meeting that I'm going to miss unless I leave right now. And he said, okay, you can leave. And my mom went, Jerry, why did everybody else stay in there? Because this is one of the final interviews. And all this, you just kept wondering. And I said, well, I just told them I had some place to be in. They said, okay. And my mom went, oh, you know, we've been here for quite a few weeks. It's probably not the best thing to say. And I said, oh, well, you know. And they called that night and said they'd rather have a little boy that wanted to be a Cub Scout than go to an interview, and that's how I got the job. <laughs> now, people may not remember the pilot to leave it to Beaver uh, was you, of course, and Barbara Billingsley, but uh, different actors as both uh, your brother and as Ward. You know, very much so. They, uh, that happens a lot on series. They, they do, you know, they, they interview a lot of people, but some of them just don't work out with the rest of the cast. And so, yes, Tony Dow, and, and they just weren't there. And there were other people that never made it. They were very nice people, but they, for some reason, the producer said, no, this one, Jerry and Barbara will be the people that we're going to keep and we're going to do some more. And it was a huge interview. I mean, when I did the original interview, there was all sorts of kids on it. So it was a lot of fun, but uh, a lot of work. We've had uh, a couple of folks who uh, appeared on the series on our show through the years. Uh, Tim Matheson, who I think did uh, one episode as a young guy, and uh, Stephen Talbot. Right. You know, a lot of people, uh, if you watch the show, were just in there for one or two episodes, but they were on Leave it to Beaver. I was there, of course, for all of them. But, uh, you know, it was just a really fun set. They made sure that all the people that were the producers and, you know, the, uh, the different people, the cameramen and everything, all had kids so that they knew how to deal with kids. And it was just a fun time. Uh, you've probably been asked this a million times. Are there other favorite episodes for you? Uh, not to watch all these years later, but uh, as the making of the episode, were there some that stood out for you? Well, you know, the Super Bowl one where I got crawled up on a, 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 a sign, one of those big signs at the side of the road. Um, but, you know, every, every one was, if they had new people in it, I got to meet a lot of nice actors that I would have never met. Um, and I see them on other things. They may have only been in one episode. But every every day was just really fun to go into the studio. We did it for six years, and there's 234 episodes. So it was just a lot of fun. Uh, a couple of my favorites. I loved uh, the episode where you were a magician, 
And also, I think I could identify with this one, uh, the book report, when you decided uh, rather than read The Three Musketeers, Beaver would just watch the movie. Of course, the movie had to be even better than just, you know, having to spend all that time reading a book. But, you know, those shows all came from the two writers had, uh, I think it was uh, seven kids between them. So it was a lot of the things that their kids were doing at home. They would come in and the next week I'd be doing them on TV. Now, after the show ended, uh, you'd had a very successful run, but but you decided you wanted to go back to a, a much more normal life. And, and you went to, I believe it was Notre Dame High School, uh, were a good student and a good athlete there. And then on to Berkeley, where you majored in philosophy. Very definitely. But, you know, when I was at doing Leave it to Beaver, I had a private tutor, so I had a, an excellent education. And, uh, um, I, you know, I went there for all of elementary school. And just by chance, as I was finishing Leave it to Beaver, I went on to, uh, you know, out of elementary school and into high school. And I went to a regular high school as I was on the football team and the track team and had just a wonderful time. And, uh, you know, my life has been very, very blessed, and I'm very happy for it. How, how uh, is it possible, and what did you or your family do right, Jerry, to avoid some of the pitfalls that a, a lot of young actors went through? Well, you know, my dad probably had a lot to do with that. When I was doing, uh, he retired as a superintendent of L.A. schools, but while I was doing Leave it to Beaver, he, you know, was working with kids all the time. He was a, a teacher and then went on to uh, be in, uh, do other things with, with kids. So um, he was just somebody that knew what a kid should be doing in school and what they shouldn't and, you know, what the proper things were to do. And he pretty much kept me on the straight and narrow um, my whole life. Well, you had uh, success in the business world, uh, in real estate, and a number of other adventures uh, as well. What was it that prompted you to uh, be part of a, what was originally going to be a, a one-shot deal with the reunion show that then turned into several seasons of uh, Still the Beaver or uh, the new Leave it to Beaver? You know, I had they what really pretty much locked it in for me when they said that they were going to try to get as many of the original cast and not just, you know, the the just Wally and the Beaver and June and Ward, but as many of the people that they could find and also the crew. So it was really fun. It was like a reunion. Suddenly I went back and there were all my friends and we just had had a great time and we just continued it. Are you at all surprised that the music career didn't take off after Beaver and the Trappers? Well, when you say take off, <laughs> it, it took off for me because um, I was playing at the time um, drums uh, at all sorts of school events, um, like sock ops and things like that. So it wasn't ever meant to be something that I was going to do professionally, but it was a fun thing. I'd go around to all the different high schools, and to be honest with you, meet a lot of the pretty girls, and as the drummer <laughs> on the thing, it was uh, you know pretty easy to do, and then I'd go on to the next school every Friday night for the big sock op. So it was just a fun time, and uh, I definitely wouldn't want to do it now, but at that time, uh, I was living the life. Now, you served in the military as well after college, and that sort of inadvertently led to one of the stranger stories in your history here, and that's the rumors. It's like you and Paul McCartney. The rumor is that uh, you were dead, that somehow Jerry Mathers had been killed in Vietnam. Absolutely. Now, I was, I was in the, uh, the service. I spent six years um, in the service, I was, but I was never shipped out uh, of the uh, United States. I never went overseas. Um, I was a general's aide and uh, was in the Air Force, and so I did a lot of typing, but that was about the most dangerous thing I did was, you know, break a nail on the typewriter. <laughs> well, how did that rumor start that you had been killed? I, I would imagine it was either, and I'm very sad to say this, either somebody that had um, the same name or mm. a similar name, but there were a lot of people that... Uh, you know, were uh, against that war, and I think maybe somebody might have said, oh, you know, just to, to make it sound worse, that somebody that, you know, is famous had had, had died in it as, as a young person, but I, I don't really know. All of a sudden, people started calling me up one morning at my mom's house. I was still living with my parents because I, uh, you know, was very, very, not very young, but I was in my late teens, and telling her how sorry they were that I had been killed, and my mom went, what? 
he, wait a minute, ran back to the bedroom. I was still snoring there, I guess. <laughs> and so um, somebody just put that out there. Maybe somebody with a, a, a similar name or I don't know why. Somebody put that up there and everybody believed it. We're talking with Jerry Mathers on Downtown. Uh, you traveled the country with uh, Tony Dow doing stage work, and you've done a lot of that through the years, including a run on Broadway in the production of Hairspray. What was that experience like for you? Well, it was, you know, a very not very challenging, but challenging. Um, a little scary because I had done plays, but when you go to Broadway, that's, you know, like the pinnacle. So it was something that uh, I really had to study a little bit more for, and uh, uh, after a few nights, it was just as easy as doing a, a film show. But, you know, it's always a little scary when you go out in front of an audi- a huge audience like that. But not only that, an audience that uh, was full. Because the whole time I was on Broadway in New York, I had standing room only, which at the time I didn't realize how hard it was. It just seemed to me the first night I walked out there, the place was full. So that must be what it was all the time. And after a while... People started telling me that's incredible that we did standing room only for the entire run. I follow you on social media, and it's always a delight when I get to see pictures of your mom, who what, celebrated, I believe, her 95th birthday. Yeah, she's a real trooper, as I said, and, and I owe my career to her because she's the one that you know took me not only to leave it to Beaver, but all the things I did before that, and she was just, you know, uh, she's been a wonderful mother and somebody that I love, of course, very much. But uh, definitely I wouldn't be the man I am today without her and my father. Um, he was a vice principal and then uh, retired as a superintendent of L.A. City Schools. But, you know, he ran a pretty strict ship. Uh, ship. So, um, you know, they, they kept me on the straight and narrow. And uh, it's something at the time, a lot of times I say, I want to go to this. They said, no, you're not going to this. You're going to do something else. And I'm certainly glad they did. Uh, you've always been very accessible to the fans. You've got a great website at jerrymathers.com. People can order merchandise at the jerrymathersbeavermerch.com. You're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. Why do you feel it's important for you to stay in touch with the fans? Well, you know, people are always asking, how can they get in touch with me? And, you know, it's it's something that makes it very, very easy for them. Um, most people um, in some way have a way that they can get onto the Internet and it really is me on that. Um, I'm the one that looks at it and decides, you know, if they when, when people write and ask me questions, and they're questions that only I know the answer, the right answers to. So it's just really fun, and it, for me, it's great to be able to interact with fans. Um, I'm just so blessed to have a show that was started in 1957 that's still on the air. It plays all over the world in a whole lot of different languages, and I'm just very, very lucky um, to be able to be associated with that character of Beaver. And, you know, there have certainly been a number of actors through the years who played an iconic role as a child and then, as they went on, tried to distance themselves from that. But but you've never done that. Why is that? Well, you know, uh, being the beaver on TV, and it's such a successful show, but it's something that I'm very proud of. It's about an American boy growing up in the 50s and 60s, but pretty much he could be a, a boy growing up right now, and it's... Uh, you know, it went out all over the world. It just wasn't in the United States. It played in about, I think it was 20 different languages. So uh, especially in the 50s when there was a very different time, a lot of people in foreign countries, that was their first really look at an American family and how did we live. So it was something that, you know, I got out uh, uh, fan mail from people that I couldn't even read. I'd have to take it to somebody that was from a different country, and they'd say, oh, are you saying what, how they enjoy the show because they dubbed it in different languages. So it was just really, you know, it's been a great experience. I'm just so happy that I went on an interview and got that job. I, I caught an interview from a few years ago that you and Tony did, and you guys were saying that along with the writers having knowledge of kids from their own pack of children, that they uh, they would listen to you guys and listen to the way you talked. And if something didn't feel quite right or sound quite right to you, they would take that into consideration. Oh, very definitely. I think uh, Joe Conley and Bob Mosier were the writers. Conley, I believe, had like uh, ten, eight, eight kids, uh, so he had a lot of things that he could draw from just watching his own kids at home. So, you know, and they, everybody was very, very nice. They made sure that the entire crew, the cameraman, all the lighting guy, were all family people, so they knew how to get along with kids. Uh, I didn't realize that at the time, but someone they, they told me that uh, 
you know, years later. But it was just such a fun thing. All my friends were there um, as the crew members, and, you know, we did all sorts of fun things between the between – the, uh, the, when they were lighting it and things, and I had a wonderful time. It was a wonderful experience and something I'm very, very proud of, but I'm very glad I was able to do it. And it's got to make you feel good as, as an actor to think that something you did uh, all those years ago has continued to bring joy to people now for for 65 years. Well, you know, at when we were doing it, we were just this little show about a boy growing up in America. We knew that we got fairly good ratings the entire time it was on, but I never thought it would be anything that would last this many years that people would still be watching it in black and white. And, uh, you know, it was just so much fun working with all the people. And, you know, it's been a boom to my entire life. I meet people on the street and they come up, aren't you the beaver? Yeah. And it's something I'm very proud of. So it's not like I, you know, ever shy away from it. It's a great show and it teaches life lessons that were happening. Yes. in the, in the fifties and sixties, but there's still life lessons that kids can learn today, um, from the show. Jerry, thank you so much. Uh, great to talk with you. I've uh, enjoyed your work through the years, and uh, especially love to see the way you, you've lived your life and, and have done things right, and I uh, look forward to seeing you here in Maine. Thanks for making time for us. My pleasure. Look forward to meeting you, too. Bye-bye. Jerry Mathers, I, I forgot to mention, too, among his many roles through the years, he also did radio for a while. I I think I, out on the West Coast for at least a little while, and you can tell. You can tell he's a pro. Mm. <laughs> Very interesting guy, too. Jerry Mathers with us on Downtown. Our thanks to him and the wonderful Loretta Swit. And, of course, thanks to you for joining us. We'll see you next time here on Downtown, the podcast. <laughs>